Okay, so let's get started. I got a couple slides here for us to kind of explain uh, the reason. The title of my lesson is Searching for the King. You know, this may be your, your once a year time you come to church, which is totally fine. We're so encouraged you're here. I, I grew up growing in church once a year. That's, that's why I know that I go to Easter and I go to Christmas. But I wasn't searching for the King. I was searching for nothing. And so as I got older, I began searching. And so these wise men, these magi, they were coming. They came from a long distance. This is a map of the historical area where Jesus grew up. It was called Nazareth, but he was actually born down in Bethlehem. That's very important. That's why Mary said, I carried the baby for 10 months all the way down to Bethlehem. She had to travel 90 miles on a donkey being pregnant. Can you imagine going to Costco pregnant? All right, imagine her going way down here to the Bethlehem Costco and delivering a baby because she had to go back because the emperor of Rome mandated that everyone go back to their birth town so they can have a census, so they can tax you more money. And so the character and quality of Joseph and Mary to actually do that is amazing. And the reason why that's amazing is because it's a historical place. And Ruth, in the Bible, Mary's Boaz there. Rachel died there. She was buried there. Uh, that's Jacob's wife in the Bible. That was King David's birthplace. That's where David was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. It was called the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And that's where he was from. That's the historical uh, you know, crossing lines there with the, with the city of Bethlehem. Here is actually the excavation of Bethlehem. They've been excavating it for a long time. It was an actual little place. Uh, And in Matthew chapter 2, here is what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship Jesus. Him. You know, it's very important because Matthew is the only book in the gospel that actually covers the Magi. The other one doesn't. Because the Magi didn't actually come to the manger. I know your Christmas cards say that, but they were actually never there at the manger. It was the shepherds who were there. It was Mary and Joseph. But the actual Magi, the wise men, were a little late in getting there because they were following the star, right? So I'm going to give you a little history of the wise men, the magi. Very ancient people in ancient civilizations, they always had a group of wise guys. Sorry, wise men, right? (laughs) In every culture and society, we got our own wise guys, right? We got guys who know a little bit more than others. So even going back to the book of Genesis during the the Egyptian empire, the Egyptian civilization, it's one of the most... Uh, uh, profoundly advanced civilization of its time. When, when Joseph, the Jewish person, was taken there, this is what happened. I'm sorry, this is when, when Moses, uh, uh, no, this is with Joseph. In the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. But no one could interpret them for him. And the one who ends up interpreting is... Um, Joseph in the Bible. He has the gift of no- knowing what the dream was about, and he actually saved their civilization from seven years of famine, which was going to wipe them out. But the king calls the wise men for his counsel. 
So these are very important people. These are very important people to the king because he wants them to advise them on what he should do. Now they had no clue, but Joseph knew what to do. Then we see them with Moses and another Pharaoh that forgot about Joseph. And the Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians. So you see there's already a collective group. When you think of wise men, you have magicians, you have sorcerers, you have dream interpreters. They're all kind of classed together in the wise men category. And also do the same things by their secret art. The reason they're saying this is because uh, God had Moses throw down his staff, and his staff turned into a snake to show the Pharaoh, hey, my message is from God, you should believe me. Well, then the Pharaoh goes, hey, I got some guys of my own. So they brought him out, and they threw down their staff, and it became a snake too. There was some, some magic going on there, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff to show that God was superior to their magic. So again, in ancient Egypt, there were these wise men. And then we find him again in Babylon. Now, the Jewish city of Jerusalem was sacked, was taken by storm by the Babylonians. And so what they did when they conquered the city, they took all the best Jewish people, the smart guys, and they brought them to Babylon and they taught them their culture. And so Daniel ends up in the service of the king in the group of the wise men. And it says here, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, enchanters, the sorcerers, and there you find the magi, astrologers, to tell them what he had dreamed. So in this civilization of Babylon, which is located in the east, you find Daniel being there because he was exiled there. He was taken there against his will. And for 70 years, he lived there. He grew up, I mean, he spent his majority of his life, he died there. And so, the Jewish teaching of the Old Testament became prevalent in that culture. That's important to know because Daniel was a key figure for the wise men who come to see Jesus, which is interesting. So he calls these group of wise guys in Babylon, and again in Daniel, in, in Daniel 2 verse 27, Daniel replied to the king, he goes, no wise man, because he had this crazy dream. And when he told them, he goes, hey, hey, wise men, come together. Tell me what my dream was. And normally what they would do is they would say, King, tell us your dream and we'll interpret it for you. He goes, no, you tell me my dream without me telling you or I'm going to kill you. And so they were like, whoa, we don't really, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. wait. And, so the, and so the wise men were going to get put to the axe and get executed. And Daniel says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me talk to the king. And so he goes to the king and he says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And here is another example of in the wise man group, Daniel was a dream interpreter. And he rose up to be the prime minister of that civilization. Again, the Old Testament was beginning to be saturated. There was a figure, there was a Jewish man that believed in a God, one God, monotheism, which was big time back then because they had multiple gods, explaining to him that one day, the Old Testament says, there will be a Messiah. And that saturates the culture. So in the time when Jesus was being born, there was an expectation, hey, a king is coming. So the wise men look at the scriptures, possibly, 
And this is what a prophetic scripture about the wise men. Here they come. Now, there weren't just three of them. They usually rolled from two to twelve as a gathering and went together. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. The person who says this is actually one of the people that was considered the wise men of his day in the Numbers. He's saying a star will rise. And so these magi, who were actually astrologers in the wise men group, were looking for a star, were looking for a sign of God. So they studied the stars for generations. So the magi, as they were called, the astrologers, they were who they were. They studied the stars. They spent time doing it for generations and generations. Uh, The Greek historian Herodotus wrote in 5th century BC, hey, hey, these guys existed. I saw them. They're actually a cast of Medes, of Persians, who had duties in the Persian Empire. They had a role there. They were important to the king. And in the book of Daniel, the Magi were grouped with magicians, sorcerers, Chaldeans, which astrologers, to interpret the king's dreams. Okay. So why did this group of wise men, why on earth would they go to see baby Jesus in Bethlehem? Well, one, they knew about the Bible because of Joseph, because of Daniel. There was, a, there was a, already an introduction into the Old Testament scriptures. And they studied it. And they knew that there was going to be a king. The king of the Jews. So they set out and they studied the stars. And they saw the sign. And so they went and followed this star. And it took them a while. If you try to navigate by the stars, it's not easy. So it took them a little while. And we understand this to be true because there was Jewish exiled people living in the east. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just unknown to the Jewish culture. They knew about the Jewish people. They knew about what the book, they were called the people of book. They knew about, hey, there's a king coming. And so when they said the stars, they saw a sign. And Daniel was in the Magi group while serving under Nebuchadnezzar. And they had knowledge of the Old Testament. And they were searching for a king. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you searching for? What are you longing for in your life? I know it can't be just gifts. I talked to my father the other day. He's all, Christmas is for kids. I was just telling me, does that mean no gift this year, Dad? What are you trying to say? What's the message here? Christmas, I don't know about you, Jill. My opinion is Christmas is for kids. And I'm, you know, the older I get, the less gifts means, mean to me. As a, as a person, I turned 42 last week. And uh, when you for your birthday, I almost replied with my, oh, my father always tells me when I ask him, I almost said this. Whenever I ask my dad, what do you want for your birthday? He always says, uh, give me some underwear. <laughs> Every year. Give me underwear. That's it, underwear? Like, yeah, it's underwear. And that's kind of how I, I, and I, for a while I was going, that's odd. I'd want this and this and this. As I get older, I didn't want anything. Because those things don't really make me happy. They don't. Um, it, it just so, so I started growing up and I started thinking, wow, what, what is the meaning of, of life? Is it about Christmas gifts and spending a lot of money and going into debt? Is that what it's about? Then I hate everybody on January? I did that for a while. It's like, ah, why am I such a people pleaser? Right? Should have bought that gift. What are you searching for? There's got to be something deeper and more meaningful out there. And there is, but you have to search for it. Sometimes it falls in your lap, but you've got to search a little bit. So here are some scriptures that explain 
that prophetically can talk about what the Magi were as they, as they go to see the king. These are scriptures that reference uh, the, the Messiah. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Referring to the Messiah. Herds of camel will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephta, and all the Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. These are all things that the Magi ended up bringing to Jesus, but it was prophesied many years ago. And may the kings of Tarshish and the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him, the Messiah, gifts. Interesting. So we'll take it back up in Matthew chapter 2. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Because King Herod wasn't really a, a, a practicing religious guy, a spiritual guy. He was king because he had made friends with the Roman politicians and they made him king because he guaranteed the taxes would get to Rome. He was the guy who says, I will make sure that we tax everyone so Rome gets their money. So he was kind of the puppet leader. He wasn't really caring about Jesus and the Messiah. He wasn't a spiritual person. And a lot of times, we could go through the motions of trying to be spiritual by going to church but never really changing. And so, when we come to church and we hear something challenging, it disturbs you. Like, whoa, I got shook my heart. And so, here it was, he was disturbed. And then he goes to the teachers and uh, the priests and the teachers of the law. He says, hey, where is the Messiah to be born? I want to know. He was inquiring. And it kind of starts off like he's interested in being spiritual. Like, hey, where is he to be born? I want to know. He goes, they say, in Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what the prophet, prophets have written. And directly from the prophets have written, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we see that it was Bethlehem Ephrata. Uh, that seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, you were a king, a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, whose origins are from the distant past. The interesting thing about this, this prophecy, it was so precise, because there was actually another Bethlehem six miles north of Nazareth where Jesus was born. Can you imagine the conversation Mary and Joseph had when she's 10 months pregnant? Hey, do you want to travel 90 miles down, up, up, up and down the hill, or do you want to go six? I know where the conversation would go in my house. It'd be like, there'd be a strain in the house, right? So there was another Bethlehem up there, and that's why this prophecy is so specific because it was the only area was a little area in Judah, Ephrata, which was called Bethlehem. So interesting history there that there was actually two towns of Bethlehem that actually existed. You know, it's not uncommon in America. We have five Marquettes in the U.S. Marquette, Wisconsin. Uh, Marquette, Marquette, Kansas. And we even have a Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Thank goodness they didn't come here, huh? <laughs> they stayed in, in the Middle East. They could have came here, you know, but, you know, they would have been the wrong Bethlehem. So, just two names is not an uncommon thing. It's actually very common in our society. And that was what Herod wanted to know. He wanted to know where the Messiah was born. It was disturbing for him. And the reason why it disturbed him, because he was the current king of the Jews. That's why it bothered him. Think about, think about you having a job, and then you find out someone's interviewing for your position. That would cause you a little disturbance in the force. Would you, would you say that? Someone trying to take your role disturbs you. Take your job disturbs you. But this was not an ordinary guy. This was the king 
God Himself come down in the flesh and He was worried about His role. He was worried about Himself. He wasn't worried about Jesus. It was disturbing because He knew He would have to change. He knew it would have to be humble. He'd have to bow down to the real King. And sometimes it's kind of hard to bow down to God when you've been living your way for so long. It's kind of, you kind of forget what it means to be humble. As a kid, you were forced to be humble, right? Your parents made you be humble, right? And then you get 18, it's like, I will not be humble. Right? I will no longer be humble. Right? And we grow up for a long time going, I am not going to be humble anymore because I'm not going to let someone else tell me what to do. And that is our struggle of our nature. When someone of authority tries to help you and encourage you to change, we resist because we think they have ulterior motives. And God's only ulterior motive is to have a relationship with you. That is it. He wants to know you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to be with you. And He wants you to be in heaven. That's His motive. It's pure as it seems. We still get like, leave me alone. Right? We still get that way. I will only come to church twice a year. Leave me alone. Right? We do that in our nature because we resist changing. And so here's King Herod. And here are the Magi who are searching for the king. This group travels years and miles and years and miles. And King Herod has them in his backyard. And you'd think he'd be like, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm going to have a king. I can, I can be friends. I'll follow him and he'll, he'll make my kingdom even better. You would think as a king, you're like, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to strengthen our, our, our area. And, but he wasn't really a spiritual man. He was a political man. And that was the big difference. If you're political versus spiritual, you run into a lot of problems. So here it is. So Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. See, the Magi are following the star and he informed them it's over in Bethlehem. So he was kind of helping them out. And as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. He sounds like he's a dedicated, hey, I, I have seen the light. I want to change. I've come to realization that God is doing something great. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a reaction you get when you realize there is truly a God who is working in your life. Think about, for a moment, how God can possibly work in your life. One, that you're here this morning. God worked to bring you here. You're probably invited by someone, a relative, maybe your grandson or granddaughter invited you. But you're here to hear a message that God wants you to hear. That's how God works. He works a lot of times through relationships and He works through circumstances. You know, when you're going through a hard time in your life and you're frustrated and, and you've burned all your self-help books, these have failed me for the last time. And then you're like, what do I do? And we come to a, almost a breaking point. And when you look up for a moment and we, we feel humility come into our hearts and we say, God, help me. People do it all the time. The younger ones do it over the toilet. The other ones do it uh, when they're just financial crisis. They've had too much, the young guys have too much to drink, the toilet, they go, oh my God, I'll never do it again, I'll never do it again. Because they can't make it stop. Sometimes when you're older, it's financial. 
Some when you're older, it's family crisis. It's, it's so many things can bring us to our knees. We're so fragile. And God knows that. But God wants a relationship. And when you find it, it's, you're overjoyed. With I see God working. So here are the Magi. They go. And on coming to the house, not the manger. On coming to the house. Because baby Jesus was born in the manger. But when they got there, they saw the child. Not a baby. There he is, they're the infant. They saw a child with the mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. You know, a lot of times we've grown up with tradition. What we think we know about God, what our parents told us about God, what our abuelita told us about God, what grandmama told us about God, what nana told us about God. And we have this preconceived notion of who God is through our perception and lives of our grandparents and our parents. And what we sometimes fail to do is we fail to actually look at the ancient document itself. Too many times we take people's word for God versus looking and searching the scriptures for God. And that's the biggest identifier of you changing your heart and your life is that you search the scriptures versus someone trying to tell you the scriptures because they will always tell you their perception of the scriptures. My grandma, we always had the wise men growing up. We always had them. In fact, my mom had a big old set and every year we had to make sure they were there. And I didn't even realize I got older. I said, Mom, they weren't even there. Don't tell me that. Don't say that. And she would want the wise men there. Man, they weren't even there, Mom. Save money. Save money. Just cut them out. No. I did not convince her. Because in her mind, the, the, the wise men were there at the birth. And I keep telling her, Mom, they weren't even there. They got there two years late. And so that's what happened. They got there because they're falling a star. And they worshipped and they bowed to him. So it was not the manger. And my encouragement to you is to look at the Bible for yourself. See, when you start doing it yourself, you start coming in contact with God. You start, you know, there's a power, there's more powerful when someone says, I want to do it, versus, oh, he's making me, I've got to do it because he asked me. There's more power versus I want to versus I have to. If you live in the I have to world, you're probably not enjoying your Christianity. Probably, I have to go to church. Oh, I have to give the Lord's contribution. I have to serve the children's ministry for three months. I have to put out these flags at church. No one knows what church is at. What a life. That's a, that's a terrible life. I don't even want you to live this way in our church. I want to ha- for you to have the I want to. Sometimes I, I, you know, in my heart I'm like, I have to preach every Sunday. <sighs> every Sunday. And I want to say, I want to preach every Sunday. I have to come up here and embarrass myself every Sunday, find ways to entertain you, help you laugh a little bit, and give you some truth, right? And I've got to spend hours in researching and stuff. You know, if you were just go Lynn forgot my PowerPoint, I was like, and, I, and she thought, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But I was like, thank you, because now I have a sermon already loaded for, for next week, so I get a week off. Thank you. I appreciate that. It takes eight to ten hours to put this stuff together. And sometimes I feel like I have to. Versus I want to. I want you to know something. This week was I want to. I was like, ooh, the Magi. Very cool, Magi. Very cool. Here's what's cool about the Magi. 
they opened up their treasures. They didn't bring someone else's treasure. They brought their treasure. Amen. And they didn't just bring it, they lugged it. You try lugging that from these, you try lugging your treasure for 200 miles. Lugging it. Goodness gracious, the kid better be worth it. I mean, lugging that thing. Hundreds of miles. They brought their treasure. It was for him. For 200 miles for two years? You know, the temptation is to skip a little bit. Oh, you won't notice that. I'm going to skip. Hey, I got to feed my camels. I got to feed myself. You can imagine, but he, they, they didn't even dip into their own treasure to take it from themselves. They saved it for the king. Amen. You know, many times on the holidays, we forget to give our treasure for the king. We give it to Macy's. <laughs> give it to a lot of stores. And they get our treasure. Who deserves it more than the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? He deserves our treasure, our giving. And it's, it goes back to the heart, I want to give to God. Not I have to give to God. That's not, that's not how you, you want to enjoy your Christianity. And they gave him gold. That's just straight up gangster money right there, gold. It wasn't silver. It was gold. I mean, you, silver gift was pretty noble back then. They brought the gold. Can you imagine that? Frankincense and myrrh? They brought the goods. They brought it for miles. Hundreds of miles. For years they brought their treasure. And they never took it for themselves. They saved it for the king. Think about your giving. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, God was working in their lives too. Because King Herod had a devious plan. His plan was to murder the, the, the child Jesus. And we know that he, he killed every child in the, in the town of Bethlehem who was two years and under were stripped from their mother's arms and put to the sword right then and there. He was an, a man who was unwilling to change. And Herod did this and the whole town cried out loudly for their children. But God had warned Joseph to take Jesus to Egypt. And he escaped there. And then they go back to Nazareth where he spends the rest of his life up to 30 growing up. So that's why the, 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 the teachers of the law were confused saying this is Jesus of Nazareth. But he was actually born in Bethlehem. If they would have just realized that, they wouldn't have treated him the way they did. But that was God's plan. He used their ignorance to save us. God always uses our ignorance to save us anyway. Isn't that awesome about God? We're ignorant and He saves us. It's awesome. I love it. Stay ignorant in there. Stay ignorant. Saves us. And so they're warned in a dream to go back to their own country. But what an adventure that must have been for them. The experience of seeing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in their lifetime. Can you imagine that? And we're still talking about them today. There is an important part of the birth of Jesus as, as Jesus Himself. These guys. They're always in the, in the manger scene. They're always there. Because we're honoring them. God put them in the scriptures for them to be honored as an example for us and how we live our lives. They're, they're to be lifted up to imitate their faith. The traveling, the journey. You know, the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert. That's like being a Christian spending 40 years in the wilderness. Be, you know, God's leading you, but it's tough. God's leading you, but not everything seems to go well all the time. That's Christianity. So what did you do? There's two things you can do. 
from this lesson is one, you can search for the king yourself in the Bible. You can open it up and begin searching. Well, if I open it up, I get confused. Go to google.com and type in a question about Jesus. A specific question. And you'll get like 40,000 ancient documents helping you. You'll get a lot of information. But my encouragement is that you search. Don't let someone search for you. You search. Because that's what this is your relationship with God. It needs to be personal and exciting. And number two, tell the world about him. There's one thing Jesus tells us is to go and tell the world about me. And this is the greatest time to do it. Because everyone's thinking about Christmas. Everyone's thinking about little baby Jesus. Everyone's saying this is the season to be giving. In fact, people you bump into are going to be more friendly in this season than when we wait till January 1. They will not be as friendly. <laughs> this is the friendliest time for people. There, when, when I want to get him to lay and the guy won't let me over, he actually lets me over in December. Oh, thank you, sir. He gave me a little wave. In January, he's let me over. I have to haul and literally go over the lane for him to let me in. This is a great season, a great time for all of us to tell the world about Jesus. Enjoy your Christmas. Merry, merry.